This is Irish Illustrated Insider. It's February 8th. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated and Pete Sampson from The Athletic. Notre Dame had an uh, uh, interview session last week. Marcus Freeman, Brian Pullian, Tommy Reese, Mike Elston. We heard from Brian Kelly. We weren't allowed to ask him questions, but a lot came out of that. Right, Tim? we got plenty of stories. I got to say, I got one more, I got one more to bleed out of Polian Jack I, a little later. So yeah, I, think <laughs> just, I think I'll be bleeding a few more out of that. But, uh, you know, it was beneficial. It was good, good to get a chance to talk to, to Marcus Freeman, talk to him about his philosophy, talk to him about terminology with positions. Let's start with him and what, what your impressions, guys, uh, were of him. I thought Freeman was outstanding. I think you saw kind of everything that would lead you to believe he's going to be a great recruiter, easy to relate to with players. Um, I think easy to relate to with fans, if that matters. Um, you know, saying that, you know, every day you find out how special or unique this place is. Uh, you can get anybody on the phone that you want as far as a prospect goes. I mean, that's, I think it just sort of backed up what, what people are probably telling you guys, telling me over the last month that, one, you're going to love this guy, and he's going to be a huge hit at Notre Dame. I think this is a good time to remind everybody when they say, do we want to bring in someone for Marcus Freeman because he obviously wants to be a head coach? Remember this moment when he walks in, gets Tyson Ford to commit. Everyone already loves him. He's going to be a good defensive coordinator. He'll be a head coach someday. You always want the next Marcus Freeman to join your program. Yeah. Ask Alabama <laughs> and any team that gets great coordinators to come in. He is, I mean, he was as advertised, right? We, we, we figured he would be the perfect fit in terms of what Notre Dame needed uh, in the recruiting room. And he's already, he said the bell. The only thing I wanted to hear was I'm tailoring my scheme to match my players. That That's that just making him a smart man. That will always be a good coach. Yeah. I think it was pretty easy to, for Notre Dame fans to like him. And, and they did. I haven't heard anybody that said he didn't handle the interview process with the media. Well, I mean, he, he, he clearly gets Notre Dame. He said way too many things about Notre Dame for him to be oblivious to what Notre Dame's all about. I mean, yeah, just, to be just like he was coached to say something <laughs> good about Notre Dame, it was he was very much. Yeah, no, it was very insightful, and I thought that was good. That was the first thing that that struck me. I, you know, again, everybody likes to hear Mike Elston talk about what a tiger he is. We have that story uh, uh, up on the the website today at Irish Illustrated. Um, you know, clearly a, a tenacious recruiter. And if you've seen video of him during practice sessions when he was at Cincinnati, uh, he's also very aggressive on the practice field too, in a, in a real positive way, in an encouraging way. Uh, and Tim, I agree with you. I mean, you, you want to hear him say, look, we're yeah. going to tailor our defense to the, the personnel that we have. There are going to be multiple schemes. There's evidence out there already that he will you know, he will mix and match more than Clark Lee even with his defenses. The best part about it is it's really a commentary on Clark Lee, though. He didn't have to overhaul it. Like, I've always kind of blamed Brian Kelly for that first year where he came in and he said, we're going to run this up-tempo offense and I am not going to use my running backs and I'm going to have Dane Chris throw to all these guys. There was never going to work, except he had to overhaul everything anyway. So you might as well overhaul, right? Marcus Freeman's coming in. He's like, I don't need to overhaul this. <laughs> like these guys have played some really good defense. Yeah. To do that, yeah. It, it, so I think there's a mild <laughs> advantage there for him. It's a commentary on Notre Dame's defense. Like if, if you were to come in, if Marcus Freeman came in in 2017, he'd be like, we're overhauling everything. This is what we're going to do. We're going to be a three down team, you know, but he, he doesn't have to do that this time. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that I think he said where I was like, mm, okay, was like the fact that Notre Dame was an easy decision. Um, Cause I, I think that, 
in talking to people around Notre Dame, there was a time where they thought that he is sort of slipping away and going to LSU. I mean, I think that he had a serious decision to make when it came to deciding between Notre Dame and LSU. And now, I mean, that was really one of the things that I wanted to ask him about was just about learning to sell Notre Dame and how you sort of hit the high points of a place you've only been working at for a month. Um, Because I think that, he certainly has, when I talked to Tyson Ford about it, I mean, he mentioned that Freeman talked a bunch about the decision between Notre Dame and LSU and ultimately what got him to go with Notre Dame over LSU. And that, that was very impactful. I, I hear what you're saying because LSU won the national title in 2019. And so that's a, that's a, and I'm sure that they offered a little bit. I know that they offered a little bit more money than Notre Dame. Um, but I mean, I think I think he's genuine when he talks about the fit for Notre Dame and that. Sure, I agree with you know, that. He was him and his wife were sold five minutes after Brian Kelly began talking about. It. I mean, I think he was inclined to feel more of an affinity for Notre Dame than he would LSU. And you know, Brian yeah. Kelly played up on that, and, and Notre Dame played up on that. And I think it also has a lot to do with. You know, he. I asked him about uh, when Mike Denbrock recruited him for Notre Dame back in the early two thousands, and. And he basically said that had there not been such a strong pull, such a strong draw for his family to Ohio State, you know, Notre Dame would have been right in there. And, and I don't know if he said they would have won per se, but well, he said his mind was made up when he came to Notre Dame, he was going to go to Ohio yeah, State. That yeah, yeah, right, tough. exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, so that's a good fit, and that looks good. Enjoy every minute of him because the the, the clock is already ticking yeah. on him. Uh, but I think he's going to do a really, really nice job for Notre Dame on several fronts. We also spoke with uh, Brian Pulling. Brian Pulling, a big defender of Brian Kelly and the recruiting process. I said that day that it sounded very choreographed, and it was. Um, Pete, you can speak to this. I mean, obviously, they were. It got under their skin um, to hear from the Athletic that Tyson Ford said he had received multiple calls from Lincoln Riley and none from Brian Kelly. So it was a big defense of Brian Kelly, and Brian Polian led that charge. Uh, I mean, it was definitely pointed. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, obviously, Tyson Ford said what he said, and I wrote what I wrote. And I haven't, I haven't heard one person from Notre Dame say that was inaccurate. So I'm fine with that. Um, I, I don't know. There was, it, it felt like the elston Polian part of Wednesday felt like more like a college lecture or a coach's clinic. And then the Reese Freeman part of Wednesday felt like its own thing almost. Um, whereas like Polian and Elston were very much like trying to come to the defense and like explain like why things work, why things might be harder than you think. Um, you know, Elston's commentary about less than half of prospects being able to get in was interesting because it's, I sort of took that and you know, think back about some of the, the prospects they took in 2010, 2011, 2012, and it make it would lead me to believe that they've sort of changed what's admissible and what's not. Um, because I think you would go back to those prospects. I mean, look, Lewis Nix came from a public school in Jacksonville and has said multiple times that academically, Notre Dame, he was underwater immediately. Um, I'm not so sure that Notre Dame is is going after prospects with that academic background anymore based on how difficult um, the experience is for those players. Uh, and I've had multiple former Notre Dame coaches um, reach out to me and be like, well, this, this is kind of a weird less than half dynamic. 
where they're like, unless something's changed, they felt like it, when they were here, Notre Dame could do more than half, quite a bit more. But I think less than half also, and it's he didn't spell it out this way, less than you have to be able to have of those less. Okay, let's say you can do 60. Let's say you can bring in 60 to the top 100. <laughs> How many can you get past the initial conversation that want to come to Notre Dame? And then you're down to 40 or 30, and then you're less mm-hmm. than half. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you I certainly was... can't get every top prospect from a public school that does not project to Notre Dame to go up to admit, the admissions office and say, I think I can get this player in, and he wants to come. I, I would see how there's less than half of those, as opposed yeah, to, I, could they conceivably get in? I think, of course, there's more than half that could sure. conceivably get in. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would agree with that, because you have to go back to what Brian Polian was talking about with the vetting process. Well, so when it's all done, when you when you do the vetting process and who wants to actually come to Notre Dame, I mean, it it, it is less than 50 percent. And I, and a couple of people took shots at Elston because they said he was making an excuse. He was asked a question. Yeah, well, he was I asked how many. And he said less than half. He wasn't he, he wasn't trying to offer an excuse whatsoever. He answered a question. I think that if if the question was more, I guess, tuned to like. How many in the top hundred? How many players would you look at and say like these guys fit Notre Dame? That and would be fit. Right, and right. Fit is a huge word, and he might have answered that. Years. He might and have I, been answering that in his answer. Yeah, you know what I'm and saying? I, I think yeah. Yeah. I 100% agree that less than half fit Notre Dame, and it's I've talked to people on the staff, people in the athletic department to try to nail down on like because it's not the same number every year. Yeah. And what I hear is more like it's a third. Um, so it that. Technically, is less than half, but it's less than half by quite a bit. Right, and Notre Dame has learned. I mean, if if they have indeed shifted their approach here, they've they've learned that. You know, it's it's great to land a guy that you know is a five star and everybody wants. I mean, I, the, I, maybe the last guy I'm thinking of Noah Boykin, who they really took a chance on, and he just he didn't fit at Notre Dame, and that's that's fine. But you you put a lot of resources you you. Uh, you put a lot of resources into getting guys like that. And then if they have one foot out the door, as soon as they get here, now you yeah. have a gap in your roster and you're, you're making up ground. So I think I would just say like, if Notre Dame was presented with the opportunity to recruit Aaron Lynch again, I think 100% they would take him. Yes. But I think it's important to note that class graduated, not graduated. That class had seven players finish their eligibility at Notre Dame of the 23, the 2011 class. Mm-hmm. A lot of the guys didn't fit. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like really the 2018 class is like kind of yeah. creeping up there as oh, we go through. And I think sure is. It's the next the, one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the fit of those guys was was much more yeah. curtailed and like edited to, to fit what Notre Dame wanted. It's easier to leave though too now. Oh, yeah. I mean, the yeah. grad transfer yeah. is like you can sort of target that. If you're an early enrollee, you're probably grad transferring out with two years of eligibility if you do it right. 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 Yeah, because the NCAA is ultimately going to allow a one free transfer, so that the the number will make it even more so. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Jerkovic knew he was going to get one. He might have stayed if he wasn't going to get that. You know, if he in 2011, Jerkovic might not transfer out of Notre Dame because he might be like, oh, I really want to sit out until 2013. Mm-hmm. Like right. that's a that's a tough one. Yeah, I thought Tommy Reese. I, I was very interested. I asked him a question about what he's looking for in intangibles and quarterbacks. Again, somebody said. Well, Tommy Reese is making an excuse to to pursue a lesser quarterback. Now he was answering a question. That's all he was doing. And I thought, you know, him talking about the the various things that he looks into when he's 
you know, scouting out a quarterback? Does he watch football on Saturdays? Um, multi-sport guys, which is something that I've always believed in. I thought, I thought that was interesting. Other interesting things for you guys from Elston, Reese, Pullian, or Freeman? Uh, you know, they laid out the sort of process of position coach to yeah. coordinator to head coach, or no, I'm sorry, area recruiter to position coach to coordinator right. to head coach. And I think that, you know, in, in some ways, I, that that doesn't work with every prospect. It works with a lot of them. Um, and I think ultimately that's probably what made the Tyson Ford story go a little sideways for them is that the position coach was like really on it. And then it never, and it got to the coordinator. It didn't get to the head coach until later, but that's like, that's the process. It works with Aiden Gobera. No problem. Um, the Ford story was just a little bit different, but I thought that was interesting. You know, everything you mentioned about Reese, I thought was good. I could have listened to him talk about quarterback evaluation development for like a couple hours. Um, the Buck linebackers no longer a thing, but, <laughs> but, but Viper still is. Um, so that Viper's was, just too cool of a name to get rid of. Yeah, Pete. <laughs> Buck, uh, I mean, a little bit too much like Big Buck Hunter, I guess. I'm not sure. I picture Freeman walking in and saying, Viper, you guys call him Viper? All right, we're keeping that. Just, yeah. He just thought that was a good, better than drop, right? Yeah, yeah apparently I, he, he talked to some players on the team and it was like, Buck, what is that about? Yeah. <laughs> That's out of here. See, it does matter. It does matter more than we think. I just thought Elston, I think it's so interesting, Elston, how he has come into, he has a machine working since 2016. Before 2016, we would have looked at their defensive line recruiting, namely because the year before was the worst thing you've ever seen in your life when you're like, am I going to do Treadway (laughs) and Brandon T. Awesome? And this is what you're bringing in? Yeah, Elijah Taylor Taylor is the third. He went five for five in a class. And every time since then now, whether we're right or wrong, we're always like, Boy, this guy that Mike Elston's in on, he's going to develop into a really good Viper or strong side end. Like, look at the last four. Look at the last four that have come in in January and in last year's class that have just signed. Is there anybody among those four you don't think Mike Elston will develop into a quality Viper or big end? Well, that's why they have such great – they recruited such great length at that, yeah. at that position. It, I mean, in, so in Aukew and Schweitzer and Ford and, and Gobera, I mean, that, that's – these are there's nobody under six foot five there, yeah. and they're athletic. That, and you've seen him develop guys right. now, and like, and and Isaiah Foskey right before them. So, Patello, um, yeah, I like. I mean, I like the chances that they take. Um, yeah. You know, Schweitzer, Apu yeah. um, in particular, I think more of like project kind of Ogundeji, Johnny Williams. I mean, if you want to go back to Bo Wallace, I guess you could. But like, I I like those. I would every year. I would like them to take one guy like that. Um, you know, they, they probably took one more than they would have wanted because in an ideal world, they would have had David Abiari in this class, but you know, his situation went sideways. Um, but you know, I, I love Ford and, um, you know, the, the guy that just got Gobira yeah. from the, from over the weekend. Like, I love that combination of length and developmental and one guy's maybe a little bit more ready to go. It's like, I, I think Elston has done a really, really tremendous job sort of identifying and targeting and then obviously recruiting too. And, you know, developing is the most important part. Yeah. And the writing is on the wall for uh, Jason Anya because I mean, Mike already says 280. So, I mean, he's got, he's going to transition <clears throat> inside. That's something we've been talking about on Irish Illustrated since he verbally committed yeah. a long time ago. Um, so the question then will be which one of those four tall defensive ends that I was talking about, ends up being a, a strong side, a big end. 
Uh, and I mean, maybe not necessarily, but I think if I, if you were to choose between Apu and Schweitzer, Apu might be a little bit more likely, although I like what he does off the edge. Schweitzer's a, Schweitzer is a true, you know, he's, drop end. Cause he's he was a linebacker. linebacker. Yeah. yeah I was well, say, they, he's they first, linebacker. Right, they yeah. first recruited him as a linebacker. So he fits that spot perfectly. Tyson Ford, you know, who, who will be a big end between Tyson Ford and, and Aiden Gobera? I, I I'm not sure right now. I, I, would, I think you know, Ford just, is probably a bigger frame uh, yeah. with more growth yes. size weight-wise. That was his coach in high school thought like three technique was very much inbound. Oh, wow, and yeah. To where his genetics yeah, he could do that. Him. He'd be really good at that position, yeah, too. Those, yeah, no doubt. That position is important. No doubt. Chris O'Leary, new uh, Notre Dame safeties coach, kind of caught us by surprise a little bit. I am definitely going to write Dan O'Leary at some point. Uh, <laughs> so apologies in advance. Old school Notre Dame tight end yes. when I started covering this team. Um, I, you know, I felt like it was probably a, a compromise between Tavor Johnson and Kerry Cooks and Chris O'Leary was in there too. And continuity is important. You know, I, I think that one of the tells with O'Leary that is interesting is I want to say it was when before they had hired Mickens uh, and they sort of had a gap on the staff for a while. O'Leary actually went out and recruited, like went to California, visited high schools. Um, so when Brian Kelly talks about sort of a two-year job interview, part of that interview was the recruiting aspect of it. I'm not, I don't know if there are any great takeaways from that, but it was enough to make me think like, all right, they really like this guy. Um, so, you know, it's, it, is it dissimilar to the process that, they went from Scott Booker being promoted. Not really, but, you know, hopefully this one clicks a little bit better, you know, working with Freeman, working with Elston, um, you know, working with Mickens. It's a pretty, pretty young defensive staff overall. And we mentioned that, or I mentioned this offline. I think, I do think it's an indication that Marcus Freeman preferred Chris O'Leary. I mean, Chris, when it came down to O'Leary and Cooks. Probably so. I mean, I think it'd be hard for, Marcus Freeman to say, I want Kerry Cooks for Brian Kelly to have his relationship with bringing Kerry Cooks back and for the head to sit both saying, but we're going to go with Chris O'Leary. That's just a strange, it's not impossible, but it's a strange jump, right? No, but, but I think it kind of went unnoticed to all of us that he was actually coaching the Rovers during the fall. Now, maybe yep. <laughs> had it not been a pandemic, we, we, we would have had an opportunity to. to well, yeah, you, you got to be on the practice August. field. <laughs> you got to right. be on the practice I, field to see that. Right, yes. exactly. So we would have seen that in August and that would have made a difference, but We'll learn more about him, but but uh, good for him. And Nick Lazinski was the guy that that we had talked about the most. Uh, not sure what the future holds for him at Notre Dame, but uh, you know we know that they respect him and like the work that he's done. I know Clark Lee certainly did. So anyway, let's come back in uh, segment two. We'll talk about uh, another Notre Dame transfer, and uh, we'll hit Notre Dame basketball at the end as well. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. This is segment two, burning up the boards. We start with a question from Wreckers 33 Hot. Brian Kelly chose not to take any questions at the National Signing Day press conference last week, what are your reactions to one? What are your reactions to that as one members of the media? And two, what that says about Brian Kelly and Notre Dame? 
a little surprised and nothing, I guess is where I would go with that. I I didn't read too much into it. Um, So yeah, I just sort of left that one alone. I was surprised until I realized what the call was about. And he talked about his class basically in December. And I'd much rather hear from the assistant coaches about the class than Kelly again, or any head coach on national signing day, because as I've said for a long time, National Signing Day, these players are all the best they'll ever be. And he once talked for three paragraphs about Cam Roberson. So I don't need to hear the uh, head coach of anyone tell me how good the recruits are going to be. I thought it was good to be able to drill down with the assistants. However, I found it really weird. I mean, yeah, he, doesn't I think to, we, he doesn't have to give an overview, but I would have thought there would have been some taking some questions. Right. I think maybe, we all maybe say, right, maybe just say, <coughs> I don't want to run down every player in the class who's already done that. But mm-hmm. I'll take some questions here, general questions. But I really mm-hmm. want to move on to my assistants. That's, yeah, your new defensive yeah. coordinator. Right. Um, yeah, that was a little surprising, I guess. Yeah, I mean, once once we heard Brian Pulling and Mike Elston's approach to what they were going to say, right, Tim? I mean, that's yeah. when it, that's <laughs> it made, when a lot it made more. sense. That, okay, yeah. that's why Brian Kelly. It was a presentation <laughs> as much as our, it was like the last half was a press conference. The first half was a presentation. No, I think you're, I, I, would, I agree with you completely on that, Pete. What it says about Brian Kelly and Notre Dame, I mean, I. You know, I, I I know there are people out there that think all I do is defend Brian Kelly, and that's it's not true <laughs> because if you if you've seen seen our work over the years, you know that it 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 goes both ways. But um, you know, I mean, it was an it was an orchestrated effort uh, to defend Brian Kelly, and that's why it happened. I was surprised that he didn't take any questions because I did want to ask some of the questions that I was get getting pounded for not asking him mainly because we haven't been able to speak to him. Um, And I, you know, I mean, I just think that a lot of times we talk about recruiting from the standpoint, like we know what's going on, but we don't because it's behind closed doors by the same token. We totally know that Brian Kelly doesn't always push as hard as he needs to in recruiting. So, I mean, there's a, there's a balance there. And so I wasn't, once we started to hear the tone, of, of the commentary, I, we weren't surprised by it. ND Irish Berg, all I hear about Tyler Buckner is that he could be a three to four year starter and he's the top one Notre Dame has gotten in a while. Why was he not a five star and what makes him such a great prospect? Well, he, he was a five star at one point, right? For 24 seven sports. And then he, then he went through this mechanical change yeah. during the yeah. pandemic. And that, that's what surprised everybody. And then he didn't have a senior year and he, I don't think California, some of the, some of the states are going to have a spring season starting here soon. They're not, it doesn't Virginia, seem like it. California, I talked to Rick Meyer, who has a budding, his third son, his youngest son, has a, he's got a budding um, major college quarterback prospect, and he was hoping that they would get started. But there's a lot of doubt that that's, I, I don't think that's going to happen in California this spring. So, um you know, I mean, I think those two things. I think mainly the the mechanical change is what prompted twenty four seven sports or the composite ranking to drop him from a five or a four. It doesn't take much to drop from a five or four because sure. there's so limited five, so uh, so few number of uh, five stars. I yeah, I agree with everything you said. And then not having a senior season, it's hard to move back up if you don't have that. Yeah, yeah, and I can live with. Yeah, the recruiting service it, drops on from a five yeah, to I mean, four star because I don't care. What, well, okay, let me let, <laughs> let what makes him such a great prospect? I think that I, you know, I think that everybody I, I have haven't spoken to him. I know Tom and Kevin have, um, 
you know, I mean, I think from the neck up, I, I, I think that there's a really special prospect there. I think he's a guy that gets it. I think he's a guy that's under control and will, will be able to handle the ups and downs of being a quarterback at Notre Dame. I, first and foremost, and he throws a good ball. I mean, generally speaking, yes. he's been really good when he's had a chance to play when there, when there wasn't a pandemic or an injury involved. Um, you know, but for me, mentally, I think that he is a cut above most quarterbacks coming out of high school. Having spent time with him and his family, I interviewed him at his house uh, during his junior year when I was out there, like highly, highly self-aware. Um, and I mean that in a 100% positive way, um, not in a, like, you know, I'm trying to like present something cause I know I'm something else. Like you, you sort of take him as he is super smart, high achieving. Like I, I have, I have no doubt in my mind that he will get everything out of what he has to offer to Notre Dame. I don't know how, how much that's going to be. I think it's going to be a lot. Um, but I, I think he will max it out. I, I think we're underrating his ability to throw the football no, with that's that, probably with athletic true. throws and athleticism too. I think he's a really yeah. good, yeah, extremely high level athletic throws are really important. Everybody wants the modern game and everything. Notre Dame should never hand off again and have no tight ends and no running backs and just throw it. He is, a, he is an incredibly, incredibly good athlete in terms yes. of being able to make the throws you need to make in the modern game with all the RPOs and everything. I wish he was a little bit taller and still could do all those things, but sure. he's not. And Pete, you know how I feel about self-awareness. I think that's the great that if I could bestow a trait upon every person in, in mankind, it would be self-awareness. And It'd be like for, it. if Malik Zaire had that self-awareness you were looking for, right, Tim? He was a little short on that. Uh, Judge Arthur Vandalay, Tommy Reese leaned on a great offensive line, blocking tight ends and Kyron Williams last season in a run-heavy offensive scheme. With an experienced offensive line returning, hypothetically a more talented wide receiver core. Will the offensive philosophy shift to become more pass heavy in 2021? The question I wanted to ask Tommy Reese on Wednesday, um, but we were just talking about recruiting, so I didn't get it in. Um, also a question for Brian Kelly. I, you know, everything I know about Reese is the answer is going to be yes, that it will shift. Um, Cause that's what, you know, it doesn't mean they're going to start playing like old Houston style offense, but be much more pass heavy than it was last year. Cause that's where the strengths of the team are. And he lost four offensive linemen. I mean, <laughs> he lost it's, four offensive linemen. You're right. not going to line up and move everybody off the ball this year. It's, it's easier to stuff. pass block than it is run block. It is. You lost when four offensive linemen and the best blocking yeah. tight in the country. Yeah. That's why they Maybe ran all the, the time. Bowl. That's why they ran all the, that's why they ran all the time. How do people yeah. not. You know, they, they, Brian, Tommy Reese and Brian Kelly showed up. They looked around. They're like, let's see here. We have a Northwestern grad transfer that's tall. We have a fifth-year guy that's tall. and it, eh, that's, I'm wondering. And then we have five future pro linemen, a pro tight end, a pro tight end coming in, and a smart quarterback. Do you think we should just throw them all over the place and see if Keyes is ready? Again, I said, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. <laughs> what are you I, talking about? <laughs> how many times have we heard that you want an identity and they have this rock-solid offensive identity and I get and I get it because you, you look at the national championship game and yeah you've got to score a lot of points to beat Alabama to win a national title and I get that but remember that remember Brian Kelly said that if he asked Tommy Reese to go five wide he would do that and but that's not who they were I did statistically Notre Dame ran the ball 42 times per game they passed it 30 times per game Ian Book ran it slash got sacked uh, 10 times per game. So 
the difference between so that's an average of 72 snaps a game 42 rushes 30 passes on average I think that will come closer to the middle where it is a you know 37 35 um, if they let's say they run the same amount of plays per game next year at 72 I could see it being 37 runs and 35 yeah. passes or I, I 30 mean, and 34. The best sometimes the run pass ratio is when you're a really good team, you run more than you pass because you run the clock out too. Uh, True. But and when you, you want, look at, yeah, when you look at Notre Dame's Jack players. Jack Cole won't run as much as Ian Book either. Right. And we look at Notre Dame's players, you got to be hopeful that there's more strength in the wide receiver core than there was last year. They got the most they could out of Javon McKinley and Ben Skoranek, yeah. and they need to get a lot more out of the guys they have on the team. My prediction, you'll hear the term extension of the running game next year. A lot of throws to the running backs. Totally agree with you there, Pete. CMU Pens fan, if you had to bet on who wins the 2021 Asmar Bilal Award for senior contribution from the abyss, <laughs> are you choosing Braden Lindsay, Tariq Bracey, or Houston Griffith? Lindsay or- doesn't count. He's done it before. Ah, that's who I picked. You can't count Lindsay. He's, <laughs> he's made, he was a really, really good redshirt sophomore the second half of the season. Like, if he won, and I know, Tim, you pointed out he was only good every other game. I hope he's great. I hope he's Braden Lindsay every other game. Yeah, be, yeah. <laughs> That'd be fine. The entire year, yeah, that the entire year. There's no problem. Um, that's a tough question. I can I pick somebody else. Well, I mean, yeah, you can. And while you're thinking in the running, like DJ Brown. Yeah. Um, who, who else qualifies? Well, the guy. Okay, I'll throw some guy. Cam Hart. Cam Hart. I mean, there's an open starting position at cornerback. Maybe him, uh, Paul Mawala coming off of an injury. George Takis moving up to the number two spot at tight end. Isaiah Pryor, there's an open – Lawrence Keyes. Yeah, then, I think I'd rather go Keyes than – I just need to see – I mean, Brace, I need to see Bracey rebuilt his entire confidence and um, fundamentals. Everything, yeah, everything right. happened. Something happened. Let I don't me, know what happened. Let me just, I, I understand the nature of the question that yeah. Asmar Bilal Award, but he was a starter the year before. And he was fifth on the team in tackles. I realize that he wasn't an impact player in 2018, whereas he was in 2019. What about Shane Simon? He's got to wow. stick with Keys. I'm going to stick with Keys. Uh, no, Shane Simon's a good suggestion. Yeah. I think Keys is too. I, you know, that's going to require a second defensive coordinator to see the assets that we never really saw with, with that, but Clark Lee did. You know what? Houston Griffith is a great call. He doesn't have anybody trying to take his job from him yet until they get a grad, grad transfer. Houston Griffith elite. I mean, Lawrence Keyes, as much as I've kind of always liked Lawrence Keyes, I never thought he should play over Tommy Tremble, mm-hmm. oddly enough, but he has to fight the Avery Davis, the second tight end and other wide receivers. Houston Griffith has DJ Brown to compete against. Go get it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I mean, we've seen flashes of Lindsay. We've seen yeah. flashes yeah. of Bracey, and I still stand by Bracey having the opportunity to be a decent, to be a very good, so, a solid cornerback on the collegiate level. We haven't seen Houston Griffith be that. No, so we haven't. That's, that's why I never Maybe that's an out of the blue pick there. Maybe we need to give CMU Penn fans some credit for making us turn our minds around seven times and answering one question. <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> hooks underscore orpic who are the best candidates for a big jump this offseason by a young player kind of like kyron williams last year those are more fun <laughs> we just say yeah well babes. first of all i don't i don't think anybody's going to 
have the impact that, well, I take that back. I mean, Kevin Austin Jr. certainly is in a position, or Jordan Johnson, more so Austin because he's been in the program. I yeah. mean, those guys absolutely are in a position to have the type of impact that, you know, Kyron Williams, 211 carries, 1,125 yards, 13 rushing touchdowns. I'm going to go Kevin Bauman for this one. You know, true, true red shirt, kind of <laughs> like Kyron Williams. I think he could be a, a number two tight end, you know, and the running with Takis there. And I just know the staff thinks very highly of him. So that's, I'm going to go with him. Can I say Tyree or too, too good? No, no. Okay. Come on. Uh, that, including Lindsay in the last one. You can't. Yeah, that's Tyree. true. There you go. Uh, valid, valid. All right. So I'm going to go Johnson then because Austin's a senior and I refuse to be like Brian Kelly and call him a young player. <laughs> We're not, wait, it, it, oh, okay. Young. I'm sorry. It does say okay. young. Think, wait, young's not in there. Uh, yeah. I, I don't care though, man. Yeah. <laughs> You're going Austin. I, I, well, you know, I mean, Austin's, I just, Austin's a great choice. I, well, yeah. I think Austin has yeah. a ton of ability. All he I has do to do is a do the right thing and B don't break your foot again, which of course he had no control over that. That but, has become harder. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Uh, go ahead, Tim. Dylan Murphy. O2 as it stands right now, name the starting offensive line for the Florida state game from left to right. Which is the one 2020 lineman you'd like to have back from the 2021 team? Okay, left tackle, Jarrett Patterson. He's going to play there. Center, Zeke Corral. Did I miss somebody? Yeah, center, Zeke Corral. I would say Dylan Gibbons right now at right guard, although we haven't officially heard that he's coming back for a fifth year. But And then Lug at, uh, at right tackle. Le- at left guard, Baker, Christoffic, Carroll, Spindler, I, you know, I, I've always liked Dirksen. I, I don't. I, I think maybe the time has come and gone. <laughs> you have uh, to drop the uh, affinity at this point for your. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I just having having. You know, I've I've heard he has you know some technique issues. I think I've mentioned that in the past. So um, I don't know. I think that left guard spot. You know, I think there's one that's wide open, and the right guard Gibbons has an advantage because he'd be a redshirt senior. I agree with your lineup and I'll just answer the second question that makes Aaron Banks the easy choice for the guy you yeah. want. Back. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Aaron Banks coming back would be great. Um, yeah, I agree with the four starters. I don't know if Gibbons will be left or right guard. Um, probably depends on who the other guard is because he was a left guard until he had to be a right guard. Right. right, <laughs> yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. But uh, that, I mean, that, I don't think it matters that much. He can obviously play both. So uh, we have to guess one, right? I will say Gibbons left guard and Quinn Carroll right guard. Okay. Because Fair I enough. don't want to be too exciting and fun in February and say Rocco Spindler, we're going to save that for August. Yeah, and you know, with Patterson, I guess Patterson could play two more years. I mean, they're not going to, if Tosh Baker's capable, they're not going to keep him on the bench for two years, right? Right. I would think Patterson would play two more years since he's moved <laughs> to positions, more. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got to, yeah. that's how you get your draft stock is to be a really good left tackle for two yeah. years. Question from, Go ahead, Tim. question from Kay Beasley. Do you think grad transfers will occur prior to spring practice, or does the staff want to wait and see where they are at certain positions? I mean, we're kind of past them happening in winter now. Um, so if they're going to happen, they're going to happen in spring, because at that point those players will have <clears throat> a little more clarity on doing the graduation before yeah. doing the transfer. Uh, you know, and it's worth reminding people, Every time this topic comes up that Nick McLeod announced his commitment in May, uh, and we're still a few months away from that. Yeah, Nick McLeod, Trevor Spates, and Everett Golson all announced their 
grad transfers in May oh, yeah. because they graduated in May and then they grad transferred. Yeah, so Ben's that helps Karana, too. Ben Skoranek announced his on, on January first, and when did Jack Cohn? January fourth. It was early. Yeah, yeah it was early. But in Ben Skoranek was a graduate. You know, he was leaving. Like Nick McLeod had to graduate still, and Everett Golson had to graduate still. Yeah. Trevor Spates had to graduate still. Sometimes you have to, just because you announce it. I mean. Like Ben Skronik was on campus at Notre Dame right after he announced his, uh, and Isaiah Pryor was able to come to campus. Remember, they were involved in winter workouts. Right, right. You know, McLeod had to finish his his collegiate career. I mean, his right. university studies. At yeah, State. everybody's different. I talked to Jack um, Jack Lamb on Friday, I think it was, and I was assuming when I called him, I would be talking to him at, in Boulder, Colorado. But he still has a semester to finish yeah. at, at Notre Dame, and then he'll he'll be a Buffalo in uh, at the end of May. And people probably just to throw really quickly on that. I'm sure he is thinking um, because people always transfer from schools during the spring when they find out where they're on the depth chart. Those are usually regular transfers, kind of like you know, like Devonte Neal and uh, who transferred along with him, the the wide receiver, the same Ferguson. Year. Yeah, Ferguson. They're like, "Whoops, I don't like where this is going." Talk to the coach. Coach tells you, "Yeah, I agree. I don't like where it's going." You go. Yeah. I don't think that's grad transfer quite as quite as often. And Jeffers, do you expect further significant transfers leaving other than what's already been announced? The board has been prone to bedwetting over Jordan Johnson and Xavier Watts. <laughs> Are we in the clear? <laughs> has Notre Dame had significant transfers? Uh, so, I mean, so far, I think I would say significant, but they're not. It's it's significant grad transfers of of guys who are just looking for playing time somewhere else that wasn't going to happen at Notre Yeah, Dame. I mean, I think the closest to a significant grad transfer would be a Gofu. Uh, I, I, although yeah. I think Jack Lamb, we like Jack Lamb the player. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I think yeah. Jack Lamb, the football player, is a good football player, but he was fourth on the depth chart. I feel like Isaiah Isaiah Rutherford was one that kind of surprised me. Um, like that was just a straight transfer. I'm not playing here. I need. I just need something else. Um, yeah, I think any DB that transferred when they knew the defensive back coach was leaving was kind of strange, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so sometimes these transfers don't make sense. Yeah. Um, and just, just to remind everybody the, the list of guys that were on the roster when the 2020 season started that are no longer. And again, this is going to continue, man. Yeah. It is going to expand when the NCAA gives a, a non-penalized one-time transfer to everybody. Kofi Wardlow, Isaiah Rutherford, Jack Lamb, Jamir Smith, Jamie and Franklin, Jafar Armstrong, Ovia Gofu, Jordan Jemar Keith, which we kind of forget that he was even on the roster uh, when the season started, and then now Micah Jones uh, along with him. So, I mean, I think a Gofu is the most significant because he was getting significant snaps against Alabama. Yeah. Um, I think we may have talked about it last week. I mean, I was a little surprised at Texas, but I guess I'm told that Texas has – is wide open for for uh, weak side pass rushers. So yeah, they lack linebackers and DNs apparently. Yeah, right. Buster Bivin, what world are we living in? By the way, that Texas can't get linebackers and DNs, and Notre Dame can't stop recruiting six six rangy defensive ends to play Viper and newly named <laughs> positions. Buster Bivin, we what have you heard about the early enrollee and their level of physical preparedness? Also, what's your over under on two point five freshman defensive backs in the two deep at Tallahassee? We are resetting uh, the line to one point five because we don't. Yeah, think 2. and, I, is and close. we never really said, we never really clarified our the question of the pre the previous question was are we in the clear? I, I don't. 
I mean, we're not aware of anybody that is going, I mean, you know, Kendall Abdurrahman is a guy that is kind of without a position. Uh, we don't know. But anyway, getting back to your question, Tim, um, you know, I, I think it was to see Blake Fisher with the other 13 early enrollees, the massiveness of that, you know, I mean, he's, he makes Rocco Spindler look small. I love the picture that Kevin put up on the site. I was like, which one's Fisher? <laughs> it's just so much bigger than everybody else. It was incredible. I remember I was I went to see him work out. I think it was before the NFL Combine about this time last year because I was down in Indianapolis and he did a morning workout and I just was standing next to him and like he's just he's just huge. Um, well, it's like, he Aaron, like he's Aaron, like Aaron Banks. He's like Aaron Banks. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He's that level of size. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't know if that means like. He's physically ready to play, but I can tell you he's right. massive. Aaron Banks measured uh, at the Senior Bowl, I want to say 6'5", maybe 6'4", but he was 336. And that's about where Blake Fisher is. Yeah. But, you know, we know that we know that uh, Rocco Spindler is a man, and he looks he looks small next to, to Blake Fisher. But I, uh, you I, know, I, think Gabriel, I think Gabriel Rubio yeah, physically a is one. a guy that, that comes in very impressive. Spindler is as well. Um, and I, you know, I, we mentioned it early Schweitzer and all Pew, the length that they have along with Foskey and Tyson Ford and Gobera, you know, the present and the future, they've really upgraded the, you know, how these guys look on the eye test coming in. Justin Walters looks like more than a, uh, 17 and a half year old, uh, incoming safety. Yeah, as an early I thought enrollee, he was, doesn't he? I thought he was shorter than he actually is, which is a, it's usually the other way around. It's a great, right. Yeah, sure is. Yeah. That's a that's a great surprise because we know yeah. how physical of a player he is. Uh, the over under on the freshman. I am. Um, I tried to run it out real fast. My guess would be Lewis, Bracy, Griffith, Hamilton, Brown, a freshman corner, a non freshman corner, and a player to be named later that will transfer in, who I hope becomes a starter. Yeah, I sort of wrote it down as like I could see a freshman in the two deep at safety. I don't know if that's exactly Walters. because those, because there are three spots really. Yeah, yeah. I but mean, it, Gr- Griffith, Brown, and Hamilton corner. I don't. I'm not. Riley know, would have to be the freshman corner. There. I guess I feel like the way to explain this is like if a freshman is in the two deep at corner, that's probably a good thing. Um, yes, he beat out. He someone. passed some well, guys that they liked. It would be a it would be a good thing, but it'd be a bad thing for the sophomore class with Ramon Henderson and oh sure yeah and Caleb Offord. You know, I mean, again, in a in a perfect world, I know we're always looking for the shiniest new toy, but in a perfect world, yeah, you want a red fresh a red shirt freshman to. You know, I don't know. I the way Clarence Lewis played, and the way like I know Julian Love's a bad example. The way Julian Love played, and Troy Pride even. I feel like if Philip Riley comes in and he's just better than than those guys, you're like, you know what? That's good. He's he's better than. No, I hear you. Yeah. I, I mean, I yeah. I get it. If if one stands out above the other, but you know the the process the the yeah. process. I mean, they've they've got what ten nine corners on the roster. Yeah, one, two, now. three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Uh, I guess Jojo Johnson's not here. They're uh, gonna have not. They're gonna have nine, if you include Barnes, Tim. Correct. Yeah. Right. Uh, so. I have a follow-up question on the podcast that I'm just going to throw in. Tim O'Malley from Granger writes in, do you think they will get a grad transfer corner now? Because I did the early enrollee thing and I counted up all the corners. Like, I don't know if Notre Dame's going to be in the market if they have nine with Barnes. Because I know you can move Barnes to safety, but then you have like seven safeties. 
I I would. I would too. But you got to get a, a McLeod, right? Yeah, I mean that's yeah. Yes. You're you're not. I'd rather not fill in my two deep with my fourth corner being a grad transfer that happens to have played some football for the, UAB or something along those the lines. The equivalent of Freddie Canteen or Avery Sebastian, right. where there's a really chronic right. But yeah. if you get if you get a Nick yeah. McLeod, who the first time we all looked at his tape, we're like, oh, that guy's starting. Right, but yeah. I, you don't want the Freddie Canteen coming to start. No, I'd rather no, no, I'd rather no, develop no. a freshman. And the, it's got, the it's freshman. A, that's yeah. got to be a plug and play guy that yeah. you yes. bring in. I agree. If if Ryan Barnes is a safety, there are eight corners and eight safeties heading into the fall, as of right now. Dan underscore Brian 21. Tim, why don't you ask this question, actually, yeah, please? Probably the toughest loss of the men's basketball season at Georgia Tech Saturday. I like Prentice Hub, but when, when will Mike Bray tell him that the team is better when he's getting assists and running the offense rather than taking 15 to 20 shots a game, especially as a 39% shooter? Okay, some things have changed in the last six games. Of the last six games, Prentice Hub has had 10 assists three times and nine assists two times. And he's 20 for what is it? 20 for 41 from three in the last six games. So he's averaging 8.5 assists per game and 16 points per game. He's distributing the basketball much better than he did. So I get it because I we all have kind of the same general impression of Prentice Hub's game. I think he's too, I mean, I think he's too loose with the basketball. But what he's done the last six games, I think he's done a great job of, job of striking the balance between being a distributor and being a scorer. Yeah, Hub was not the issue. Um, he got shut down the second half in terms of scoring, but he was the reason Nate Leshevsky had 17 dunks or whatever he had there in the second right. half because right. it, was all, it was all Hub's um, pick-and-roll passes to wide-open Leshevsky, who also played great basketball. Uh, Hub, and also, I, I got to give Hub credit for not throwing up the world's worst shot when he was triple-teamed in transition to try to win the game, and he found an open Cormac Ryan who didn't pull the trigger. I mean, that was a good pass. By Hub. Ryan, I don't mind the shot fake, but he shot fake and then ran into traffic. You have to shot fake and go to the basket or shot fake and step to your right. And he should have just risen it. He should I wanted, to, ball, I wanted but, to see Cormac Ryan shoot that yeah. shot at that time. Um, yeah. yeah, Hub has always offended my delicate sensibilities watching point guards. But the last six games, he has been a guy where I keep have to admit, like, man, this, he's, he's playing better basketball right now. He, is seeing, the, he yeah. is seeing the court. The only thing I would really complain about is he's still – there's still those times where he makes – he doesn't need to make a foolish turnover. He doesn't need to make a haphazard, oh, let's no, see what agree. happens here. But I think he's played really, really well the last three games. Yeah. We'll conclude with ACTG Teach. If you were sent to a desert island and could only take one season of Nordic football tape, not sure that that would be at the forefront of what. That's all you anyway. get, Tim. That's all you get. How are you going to watch it? Yeah. What? <laughs> What, what, what football <laughs> season would it be? And also, you can either take sweets like cakes and pies <laughs> or sunblock. What are you taking? I would take chips over sweets, but sunblock over chips. Sunblock's important. Um, <laughs> I am going to go. This is an easy answer. I don't know if people read enough O'Malley's Monday Musings or mailbags here, guys, but in 1990, the kind of the end of that three-year run you get to watch Notre Dame play number four Michigan number four number 24 Michigan State and that's the immaculate deflection at young Mr. Pete Sampson that I like mm -hmm. to talk about with Adrian Gerald uh number two Miami number nine Tennessee number 18 Penn State number 18 USC and number one Colorado 
that's an enjoyable little stretch of sitting on your VCR in Fiji, watching the Irish with sunblock and no treats. Stranded in Fiji. I'm with you on, on all of those things. I'm just trying to imagine doing this like in the Swiss family Robinson house. Um, and then I think it'd be quite enjoyable. You could go out for an ostrich ride and then come back and watch the next game. It could be a lot of fun. Um, I've got a lot of choices here. Former. Yeah. Great Notre Dame teams. I, you know, I'd have to say 88 because it's the one national championship championship during my uh, working days, 39 years, one national championship. I didn't think that was going to be the case after 1988. As far as sunblock or cakes, give me a break. <laughs> he feed, Tim loves his cakes. So feed me, <laughs> feed me my sugar intravenously. You're going to walk it off. You got an island, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're fine. It's yes, I do things enough. to compensate for that, but man, kind of hard well, to turn down well, the Tim, sugar. Tim got mad at me for saying I could turn down baked goods for the rest of my life on a recent podcast. <laughs> See? Yeah, that's it. I like the idea. VCR too. All right. We got it covered, guys. That'll do it for today. We appreciate you joining us for Irish Illustrated Insider. We'll be be back on Monday, February 15th for our next edition. Thanks for joining us.